Hello everyone and welcome back. We are ready for prime time. The Black Beast shocks the world. This is the Jibber Jab MMA podcast. I'm your host Rory Pollard. Lots of heavyweight action this weekend. The division is shaking up. I think a lot of pieces are being more scrambled than set in place. Very, very, a lot of questions around the division right now. Um, lots of other fights to take a look at too this weekend. A lot of fun stuff. Um, let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone. Like I said earlier, holy crap, I'm still recovering from that uppercut that Derek Lewis threw. I felt that through the TV. Holy shit, I was not expecting that, dude. Derek Lewis shocked us all. Like, uh, I hope you guys were as stunned as I was because that was mind-blowing. I I had Derek Lewis as the heavy underdog, Derek, or Curtis Blades as a heavy favorite, and wow, I was stunned, man. I, I thought... There was little, little, if Curtis Blades ex- executed his game plan, then it it was going to be a good night for Curtis Blades, but I was, I was dead wrong, man. This is the second time this year that I was completely taken aback by, by the result of the fight. The first one being Connor being defeated by Dustin. And yeah, we, like I said, we have a lot of good, good fights to talk about. Some division insight, we're going to look into some, um, the heavyweight division mostly and some of the other divisions a little bit because there's some interesting stuff going on I want to talk about and some news that we always talk about the news some new fights breaking all that stuff but we're actually going to start at the top of this one because man it it was just so mind-blowing to me what what Derek Lewis just pulled off in that main event so yeah we're going to start it off hot we're going right into the to the main event Derek Lewis with the vicious uppercut from the basement as my dad likes to say just Uppercut KO stiffens Curtis Blades. Unbelievable, man. You you could just see his whole body tighten up as the uppercut lands. He just he's out cold instantly, and Derek Lewis makes sure of it as as he lays on the ground. Man, this fight kind of surprised me how it was playing out. They actually stood up through the whole first round, and they stood up on Curtis Blades' terms. As an all-American, I believe championship wrestler that Curtis Blades is. Like what? The, what? I was so surprised that Curtis Blades was willing. He like he wasn't shooting at all in the first round, and he he was willing to stand up with Derek in the first, and was winning the stand up. He was winning the stand up with Derek Lewis, the one of the best knockout artists we've ever seen inside the UFC. And Curtis Blades was standing up and winning the stand-up with him. And I was like, holy shit, Like, what, what's happening right now? Was Curtis trying to prove something that his his striking is also on another level? Was he trying to surprise Derek Lewis? Or did he just know that he couldn't shoot right away and he's trying to, you know, surprise him with some stand-up and shoot later? Which it might have been it as we've seen with the, what happened in the second round. 
Um, there, Lewis said his game plan was just to wait for that shot, wait for him to shoot in on his legs and, and land the knee or, or the uppercut. Just wait wait for Curtis Blades to dip and just time it, and he timed it perfect. Derek Lewis dipped the hips, loaded up that uppercut real good, and stiffened him up like a board. Holy crap. Curtis Blades was... He took the shot right on the chin, and it was... It was bad, man. It was it was vicious. Like I said, completely blown away. I'm still I'm still trying to. It's Monday now, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Uh, every time I think of the result of the of this fight, I'm like, oh my god, Derek Lewis, man. He he's something else. Like in all aspects of the fight game right now, with his his outside the octagon charisma, his inside the octagon performances. Holy shit, this guy is a different breed. Um, like I said, I had Curtis as the heavy favorite. I I was scared for Derek Lewis to be honest. I'm like, this matchup is this matchup's so bad for Derek Lewis. I thought Derek Lewis was gonna get tired out by the ground and pound. Like Derek or Curtis Blaze was gonna hold him on the ground, put his weight on him, cause they're both big heavyweights. Curtis is not a small heavyweight, even though Derek might make him look like that. But Curtis is a big heavyweight, and I thought he was gonna put all his weight on Derek and gas him out. And just beat him all, like just lay a beating on him through five rounds. And I, I, I was scared for Derek Lewis that he's gonna get beat down. But, but I was so wrong, man. Um, the only other thing that, like, there are some other things to know. Derek Lewis said that he wasn't really like Derek Lewis knocked out Curtis Blades, and he becomes the second person ever to finish Curtis Blades, and he did it by knockout in the second round. The only other person to finish Curtis Blades, or even beat Curtis Blades, the only other person to beat Curtis Blades is Francis Ngannou. Like, let that settle in. Curtis Blades hasn't lost to anyone up until this weekend besides Francis, the Predator, Ngannou. And Derek Lewis said, Derek Lewis KO'd him, and he said after the fight he he didn't even feel like he was into it that much. Like he he couldn't get himself going for the fight. For the walkout, for for inside the octagon, he just he just wasn't feeling it, and I kind of believe him. Like the way he was acting there, he he was just satisfied to stand up against the fence and let Curtis Blades dictate the action. There were his moments where he is just swinging overhands and you know, pot like just throwing massive haymakers all, everywhere, trying to finish him and try to get himself going. But Derek Lewis did seem a little bit off in this one. But his game plan came through. He he timed the uppercut perfectly, and I don't know why he he said he was struggling to go, get going. Maybe it was the the Cheetos he has he's having in the training room before the fight. <laughs> if you don't know, he said he's eating Cheetos before the fight before he went out there. So maybe it's that. But Derek, like I want to talk about Derek Lewis a little bit more because he I'm this fight kind of made me realize this guy. For not caring about the sport, for not even, like, the last few fights he's saying he's starting to take a little bit more serious, but, like, he doesn't seem to care too much about the sport or, or care to be good. He's he's there to win, but, like, you know, he's not, like, putting it all on the line, going through intense camps and, you know, treat, like, putting his body in perfect shape or anything like that. He doesn't seem to care. He's there to, he's there to fight and earn the paycheck and hopefully win, but, like, he... 
he said early, like he said before, he doesn't really respect the sport. He doesn't like. You know, he's not like it's not like he's a diehard MMA fighter or anything like that. He's just, he's just there to. I don't even know how to describe it. Not have fun. Like I don't know if he's there to have fun or just just. It's just because he knows he's good at it. Like he he realizes he's good at it. When you see this guy hit pads, he's got lightning fast hand, hands, man, and it, it just must be God given. This guy's got bricks for fists and just the natural touch of death in his hands. It's it's unbelievable to watch that this guy doesn't even seem to be intensely into the sport and it's just he puts Curtis Blades to sleep early in the second out cold like I wouldn't be surprised if Derek Lewis is compiling a Hall of Fame resume in front of all in front of all of us as we speak cuz his notable victories he has um Francis and he's beaten Francis and the guy that um, in turn, Volkov he's beat. He's beaten a lot of tough, tough guys. Travis Brown, who who was a rising star when he beat him, vicious ground and pound. He's beaten some bad, bad dudes. Alexei Olenek, he finishes late. Just ah, man, he most knock. He's tied for the most knockouts across any division now inside the UFC. He's tied with Vitor Belfort, who's a beloved figure inside the sport and a, a UFC legend. And he's tied with him for the most knockouts. And it's not like he's facing low-level guys. These are all top contenders when he's like when he's beating them for the most part. And like for a guy, like it's weird to say, but this guy doesn't seem to be that care like he doesn't seem to care if he wins or loses as much as a lot of these people do and he might be building a Hall of Fame resume in front of a, like in front of all of us. Just not I don't, is it natural talent or is it I don't know what it is he's taking it more serious lately and getting his body in better shape but still it's not like he's fully fully committed where Curtis Blades is and he was Curtis Blades cares and wants to support like his family and like he seems deeply rooted in the sport that he said he's been training wrestling since he's like 10 or 5 years old or like decades of wrestling background uh, it's just unbelievable man Derek Lewis is a different breed and I don't know if we'll ever see a guy like this again. The way the sport's going, the more technical it's getting with the striking and on the ground. It's just... I don't know if we'll ever see another guy like Derek Lewis. This guy's a freak... Freak athlete, a freak fighter. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just... It's hard for me to put him in a category. The, The people he's beat. Yada, yada, yada. I'm repeating myself, but I'm just so taken aback now. Like, I thought Derek Lewis was like... Not a journeyman fighter, but he, he was a big fun name, a big personality, who's no easy fight for anyone, but he's, he was never a top guy in my eyes. But this fight made me realize, like, this guy, you know, he's he's no easy fight for anyone, no matter who it is. It, I, I could see him beating Stipe now. I'm not saying he would. I'm not saying his chances are high. But he, he has a chance to beat anyone inside this division just with those hands. Like, those hands are next level power that we've seen very very small amounts of times inside the UFC's history like maybe Anthony Rumble Johnson Francis Ngannou of course but like rarely do we see this kind of punching power in anyone um let's move on to the outlook after this fight what's next for Derek Lewis let's start with Derek Lewis and then we'll talk about Curtis Blades a little bit after 
So yeah, like he says, Derek Lewis goes into the, the post-fight presser and says he doesn't really care for, he doesn't want any more main events. He's not a fan of the five rounds. His body's not up for it. His body can't take it. Even though this one only went two rounds, I guess it's the training camp for it and all that. So he's not into the main events. He doesn't want the five round fights. But would a title fight negate that? Because he just, going into this fight, a lot of people, including myself, viewed it as a number one contender fight. And he won the fight, so now he's he should be widely viewed as the number one contender inside the division. And next up for a title shot after Stipe versus Ngannou is done. I get that John Jones is in, is is next in line, just con- just with his legacy and background and name. He's he's gonna get the next title shot, but in terms of heavyweights right now, people inside the division. Derek Lewis is next in line, and, and no one can dispute that at this point. So, and and things can change in an instance in this sport. I want to talk about that. We just saw Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal looking like they're going to be the tough coaches and, and fight each other for the belt. And, and now they don't even seem to be interested in each other. Kamaru Usman said he, he's no longer... It seems like he, he's not as interested in that fight anymore, and that one might be falling out. So who knows, like, John Jones could get, God forbid, could get injured. He, Maybe he sees these fights and says, okay, like, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I don't want to be a heavyweight. I, I don't think John's thinking along those lines. But, you know, anything can happen. Stipe might not, Stipe might not want to come back as soon or vacate. Like, Stipe Miocic could retire. Like, Stipe, after beating Ngannou. Maybe he sees the guys that are coming, like, in... Maybe Ngannou wins, and like, like, or Stipe wins and and Stipe retires. Who fights for the belt? I I believe they do John Jones and Ngannou then. But you know, I'm just trying to shed light that anything could happen. What like with the the egos and the contracts and the money disputes. Maybe John Jones th- doesn't reach a financial agreement with the UFC. There's there's a tons of things that can happen that throws off that John Jones debut at heavyweight or postpones it and Derek Lewis could be looking at a title shot would that change his mind about a main event going for getting another shot at the shot at the title after losing to Daniel Cormier a few years ago so I wanted to throw that out there his call out he, he threw it to Alistar over him I don't see that one happening as much as I think it's a fun fight to two high level strikers you got the the kickboxer and Alistair and the boxer, Derek Lewis. But I don't. I I wouldn't even want that fight to be honest. As much as it would be a fun fight, but I I don't even want to see Alistair taking those kind of punches anymore. Like I said, I think that guy should be retired. So I hope that fight doesn't get booked. Alistair's coming off that loss to Volkov, so I I don't think the UFC will go that direction. I hope not, just for Alistair's sake. Um, what I would want to see for Derek Lewis is that he gets the winner of the the heavyweight main event this this weekend. Assuming John Jones is next up for the title, I think a real a more realistic fight for Derek Lewis is if he gets the winner of Surreal Gone and Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Both of those guys are top level strikers, and they're both gonna have a Unless it's a super boring fight, which I don't think it will be by any means. 
both of those guys are big, big threats to Derek Lewis and Derek Lewis vice versa. That's two high-level strikers in Cyril Gaon and, and Rosenstrike, and we're about to see it this weekend. Like, stylistically, they both make a, a standing matches for Derek Lewis. So I think that's the more realistic fight that's going to be booked for Derek Lewis if I were to predict it. I, I think I'll save my prediction for that fight for, for the next episode in the preview. But I, I see the winner of these these two fights this weekend and the next weekend facing off. I, I feel like that, that would be a good thing for the sport or for the division. And in terms of Curtis Blades, where does he go? This guy is now what, twenty I don't what's his record now? Let me pull it up. He's now fourteen and three with one no contest. Yeah, so three losses, man. This guy's only lost to and Ganu and Lewis, as we said, he seems he seemed unstoppable on a on big win streak coming into this. So I don't think he's going to take a huge step back down the division. I think he's still a top level guy, and I I think he wants probably a quick turnaround, not in terms of how early the fight comes, but still staying against a high contender in the division and getting a quick turnaround in terms of momentum and hype behind his name. So I can see him getting the loser of Rosenstrike and Gone. Possibly. I feel like that's still a fun fight. Or does he get the Volkov rematch? Volkov has a lot of hype behind him right now. Taking out Alistair Overeem. There's a lot of fun stuff, man. With the heavyweights right now. He's in an interesting spot. I'm not sure where he goes, where he wants to go. But I just thought I'd throw those two things out there. But now, I, I want to throw out a side note for this division. Because... There's there's one loose cannon, like it's a it's a dream right now. It's a it's a landslide, like it's a out of reach. It's far out of sight, but it's possible. And Derek Lewis has touched on it a lot coming up to this fight and after this fight. He says that he thinks if John Jones wins the heavyweight belt, and and Izzy beats Jan Blachowicz, Izzy is coming for heavyweight. He thinks that. Maybe maybe even if John loses, but he thinks Israel Adesanya is is gonna be next in line after John Jones for the, the heavyweight title. He thinks he's coming up. And I think that's very reasonable. Because if Israel Adesanya beats Jan Blahovitz, I don't know what the other enticing name is for him to defend that belt. So, like people are saying Glova Teixeira was the next light heavyweight in line for the for the challenge. But Israel Adesanya versus Glover Teixeira, is that selling pay-per-views? It's not. Like, uh, not the numbers they want. So, I, I don't see Izzy staying at... I could be dead wrong about this, but I don't see Israel Adesanya staying at light heavyweight for longer than one fight. He's going to take that title shot. And I think win or lose, he lose he's going back to middleweight and win... I feel like he's either going to middleweight or, or heavyweight. And I think he wants to chase John Jones. I think there's a good chance he wants to do that because he knows how big of a name that is on his a big notch on his belt. Uh, a massive name on his resume. And I, I could also see him going back to middleweight because they have those fights booked and, and things are going to be shaken up real soon. Uh, so, so that could happen. Um... I, I do, like, 
I'm gonna dream a little bit right now because if Izzy does come up to heavyweight and say John Jones wins the title, we might get the first. In my eyes, I might, I might be pissing a few people off with this opinion. And this, you might think this is a hot take, but in my eyes, this could be the first fight in the history of the sport where we're looking at two true goat conversationalists, or com two true goats that are in the conversation of being the goat of MMA of UFC fighting off, like fighting for the first time in the sports history. I think we could see, in terms of people who we can consider the goat, I think it's the first time we'll see two people inside the octagon fighting. You might want to say Henry Cejudo versus Demetrius Johnson was that fight. I I don't think you can say Henry Cejudo is one of the one of the good. Like, I don't think you can argue that. Yes, Henry Cejudo is one of the best MMA fighters of all time, but I don't think you can say he's the best MMA fighter of all time. I don't think you can make that conversation. He does have losses on his record. He lost to Demetrius Johnson, and Demetrius Johnson lost to him. So I don't think you guys can say those two are the goat. Demetrius Johnson has a, a lot better argument in terms of GOAT conversation, but I don't think Henry Cejudo quite reached that level. So I don't think that was that fight. The only other one, like, I put Connor up there amongst the, the top. I, I put him in the GOAT conversation, but I don't think he's one of, like, I don't think you can say he's the best ever, so I'm not going to count him in this, or else I'd be saying him versus Aldo or him versus Habib might have been one of those fights, but in my eyes, Connor wasn't quite on that level. The only other chance the UFC really had in history was if GSP in his prime was moving up to face Adis or, or not Adesanya, Anderson Silva, but GSP wasn't taking that fight unfortunately. So, in my eyes, this could be the first time in UFC that we have two guys we can say tr truly make an argument that they're the best of all time fighting against each other, and Israel seems like he knows that and he wants that fight because he thinks John Jones. He can beat John Jones, and I can see him beating John Jones even at heavyweight if he's able to keep his speed. Because John Jones isn't the same fighter anymore that he used to be. He's out of his prime. He doesn't propose the same threat in striking or wrestling, in my eyes. He's a lot more wise, which is funny to say, but, but what I mean by wise is he doesn't take the same amount of risk. The reckless abandon, the vicious striking. He doesn't leave himself open. He's very wise and where where he puts himself and, and what kind of strikes he throws so he's not the same guy but that's still possibly the biggest fight we'll ever see up to this point I I think I think that would be the biggest fight the UFC would would ever have if they get those two inside the octagon together and man I, I know I'm dreaming right now but to be honest if everything was right, that fight could be a year away. If if Izzy beats Jan and John beats Stipe in the summer or or fall, that fight could be a year away, man. It's kind of crazy to say, but it's so far, but it could be so close at the same time, man. I'm dreaming, but anyways, we got to move on. That was a bit of a hot take. Moving into the Komen event, we had Vieira defeated by Yana. I'm going to go a little bit quicker, but... I wanted to touch on that heavy or that main event and all the fun stuff that could kind of trickle down from it. But anyway, as I'm saying, Vieira defeated by Yana. I'm I was kind of taken aback. I heard by people in the media thinking that Vieira won this fight. I I I get the control time and all that, but when you look at the strike count, I thought 
I'm putting loose numbers out there. I'm not exact on these numbers, but the strike total strike count was something like 70 to 10. And I don't know how you can have the person with 10, landing 10 strikes winning the fight with that little action coming. Like I said, I understand the control time. She was getting the takedowns. She was controlling Yana, getting full mount, getting back control, all that stuff. But Yana clearly won round two. And in my eyes, she, she clearly won the fight in the last 15 seconds. Those vicious elbows, how much damage they caused in the last 15 seconds after reversing the position and ending on top position to finish the fight. Man, like, like that, that damage she did in that last 15 seconds beat the damage that Vieira did in the, the entire fight. And she never proposed significant submission attempt. Like, Viana was never in any danger so in my eyes yeah like yana yana won that fight 29 28 that was that was pretty i i guess i would have understand it if vr won the fight but i would have felt let down i think yana deserved it with just the striking and the lack of action from vr vr needs to work on attacking once she gains the dominant position don't Throwing some positions, sorry, throwing some strikes from the top, or attacking submissions from the back, attacking submissions from from the top, which is a little bit trickier. But we've seen Habib do it. But I get Habib's on another level. But I'm, what I'm just trying to say, we need to see more action from Vieira in her next fight, or else she can succumb herself to to decisions like these, where she she controls the fight, but she's just not active enough. And I, I thought Yana did a great job. Next up, Minner takes out Charles Rosa. Um, yeah, another one that a lot of grappling, grappling heavy fight. Minner did an excellent job just grinding and beating down on Rosa. And, and Rosa did a great job throwing up submission attempts from the bottom. He might have been a little too satisfied on staying on the bottom for so long. Just been trying to throw up so many submissions. And he did battle to his feet, a like try to some, at some points, but... Yeah, like, credit to Minner for avoiding all the, all the submission attempts. Rosa was, Rosa's got some great jujitsu, clearly. And, and Minner was wise to avoid them all. Some, some arm bars were deep, but Minner, Minner did a good job avoiding it. Nice win for Minner and good fight to, to both gentlemen. And next up, we got back into heavyweight action. Alexei Olenek, the, the absolute vet that he is, but... Can't quite close the deal on 60 MMA wins quite yet. Unfortunately. It would have been fun. I would have loved to see Alexei get a 60th win. This guy, this guy's a legend and he's so fun to watch in my eyes. I wanted him to get it to the ground at least once. Just to put Dawkins in some deep web some deep waters and have him feeling threatened a little bit and work his way back up to the feed and earn earn the win. Just a little bit, I would have just to see Olenek grappling because Olenek can, he's just with that Ezekiel choke, he's got all kinds of chokes like submission attempts out the wazoo. Yeah, it, it was a little bit anticlimactic because I do kind of get excited for seeing Olenek fight, but Dacus wasn't having it. He he's got some heavy hands and he put them on Olenek early, and Olenek realized, okay, this I gotta be. I be careful. I'm covering up. I wasn't as pressed as mo most people were, but it is the biggest win of Dawkins's career, and I don't want to take anything away from him, especially after 
beating a guy like Olenek, who's who's no joke. He's he's getting old now, and he seems to be slowing down. And he's 43 years old. Can you blame him? Olenek probably loses his ranking after this fight, and I'm I'm not sure where Olenek, who Olenek gets next, and I'm not sure who Dacus gets next. But I don't know. Quit, good fight for Dacus. He he proves he's he's legit. He's got some real thunder in those hands and. Yeah, good win. He, he gets a big name, a, a legend on, on his resume. So, there you go. Continuing to move down, Phil Hawes. Phil, Phil Megatron Hawes barely makes it across the finish line. And what this fight was an absolute thriller. Like, I, I had Phil Hawes go, picked him to win going into this fight against Imamov. Um, and, and after the fight, I had him winning too. Just uh, some people had... Mamov winning the fight because of the rocking Phil Haas in the second round. But I think the wrestling control, I know I'm kind of going back on what I said a little bit earlier, but it was a little bit different. Phil Haas was more active on the ground just and kept busy. It wasn't just, you know, laying there on top of him. He, he was trying to keep busy and throw strikes and body, body, head. But yeah, like, as I said, Phil Haas barely makes it across the line. Wrestles throughout most of the fight, realizes that Mamov has the, the advantage on the on the feet, especially after he fatigued himself out with the with the grappling and some heavy some heavy punches thrown early. Basically went to solely wrestling after that. But it got him got him the job done. He's doing the chicken dance real good in the third round after he got rocked three, four times bad. Doing the heavy chicken dance. <laughs> Phil Haas was. But he he's just kept throwing his body into him and grappling and trying his best to put him up against the cage and he barely made it across the finish line but he did his chin held up just enough didn't get knocked down and uh a big win for Phil Haas but he showed some holes in his game I like Phil Haas I like watching him fight he's got some you can hear when his punches land they're they're electric they're heavy but he he, he needs to work on that cardio a little bit for sure and his striking just needs to be a little bit crispier and not in how effective he throws but just how he doesn't leave himself open as much because Imamov was finding holes and even in the clinch Phil Haas was getting even while he was the one putting Imamov up against the cage he he was the one taking the strikes Imamov was finding distance enough to land elbows and knees and Phil Haas was getting hurt in those positions too so I, I like to see Phil Haas improve a little bit more just with, you know, being the the aggressor against the cage, he'd be the one throwing the strikes, the the hard landing strikes and stuff like that, and and just the cardio and stuff like I said, just tightening up a little bit. And Mamov looked really good though with the striking. He just needs to, you know, not overcommit because that's when Phil Haas was able to shoot and take him down with the double legs. But good fight, man. Good good exciting fight. It was fun to watch. And moving off the main card now, we had Aspinall who wiped out Andre Arlovsky. Aspinall actually looked really good to me, man. He he was smooth and fairly quick as a heavyweight. Pretty good strikes, good kicks. Looks pretty well-rounded. We all know how vicious his ground game is. And he finishes this fight on the ground with a, a rear naked choke over Andre Arlovsky. He had our Andre Arlovsky covering up and almost finished him in the first round. Andrei Arlovsky was was able to escape though, got him in the clinch and threw some punches back, defended himself, but it was short lasted. 
Aspinall comes out and puts the fight on him again in the second and finishes him with that gimme of a rear cheek, rear naked choke just given to him by Arlovsky. Arlovsky didn't even defend it. He just gave it to him and tapped. But, you know, credit to Aspinall for getting him there. This, this is definitely the biggest win of his career. A, a big win on his resume. Arlovsky is a legend. Former champ, former heavyweight champ. He's been in the UFC since 2000. He's 42 years old now, and cl he's clearly not the same guy he was when he was younger. You know, like he, his body, his speed, everything—you can tell he's different. But he's still going for it. He's still fighting. So good for him. Um, yeah, and, and good for Aspinall. Like to put get this notch in his belt. He says, like he he could see the experience in Arlovski doing different things and throwing different things, and he gets. Some pretty good name value after beating a guy like Arlovsky. He, along with Dawkins, could be looking up the division now. Maybe he gets a back back end heavyweight contender for both those guys. I'm not sure who they'll be. I like maybe I I could see for for Aspinall maybe give him uh, who who was I looking at Augusto Sakai. I feel like that's a fun fight and. For Christakis, uh, hmm, he beats a guy like Olenek who's ranked number ten. I don't think he goes higher than that, unless he gets like Overeem or something like that. I don't, I don't see that happening though. Maybe Walt Harris. Who knows? Marching Tabura, but he's booked for a fight right now, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure where they go with Christakis. I'm just throwing those out there. Um. Anyways. Moving on. Yeah, I, that was probably the last notable fight in my eyes. I'll, I'll touch a little bit on these other these other prelims, but uh, those those were the good fights in my eyes. Um, in terms of the other prelim fights, Jared Gordon, a guy who missed weight, takes out Danny Chavez. Some good wrestling and stuff. Eddie Wineland, who I mostly know just for being KO'd. That viral KO by Sean O'Malley. But Eddie Wineland's a former WEC champion. He's no joke. He's a legend, too. Um, Yeah, like... I, I like Eddie Wineland. I root for him now every time he's out there. Because I, I I know who he is now after Sean O'Malley fought him. So, it, it was tough. His, his chin just seems to be glass now. Like, Castaneda hit him with a six-piece combo. Not a three-piece, like a six-piece, boom, 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 like all to the chin, and Wineland just just ate him, and, and that was it, like, done real quick, man. Late in the first round, KO win by Castaneda. So, I, I, hopefully hopefully Wineland's able to turn around. I, I kind of like him. I kind of like watching him fight. He's, he's a fun watch. I did miss a couple of these other prelims because... TSN here in Canada was broadcasting freaking golf golf over over <laughs> over these prelims and me and my brother were kind of frustrated there um I was fortunately able to see um Eamon Sahabi I'm familiar with Eamon Sahabi solely because he is if you know who George St. Pierre's coach is it's Faraz Zahabi and this is the younger brother Amon and he looks like Faraz and if you're training with Faraz you Faraz transformed GSP's career so I'm kind of excited to see Sahabi fight 
he looked awesome in this one. Early KO, one punch, right on the chin, takes the Draco Rodriguez. So yeah, fun fight, and I think he, I think he's about to go on a roll in this bantamweight division. Don't quote me, but um, I think he's ready. Like uh, from, he looked really good in this. He he found the found the hole super super early, and and laid it on him and got the early finish. So good for him. And the first fight of the night, Sergey Spivak just wrestle fucked the shit out of Jared Vendera. Vendera was a beaten mess. I, I kind of got pissed off at this fight when I watched it. I thought it was a little bit of a late stoppage, man. Vendera was covering up and not fighting back for a good, like, two minutes, I felt like. And he's a bloody beaten mess at the end of it. I thought the ref, I forget who the ref was, but I think it was the, the balder guy, the bald old, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I thought I thought Vendera didn't need to take that punishment, but anyways, good good one for Sergey Spivak, and those are the fights, man. Like I said, that that main event blew my mind. I had a lot of fun watching all those fights, and the main event shocked me, shocked the world, and it's a lot of fun to see what's gonna happen in the heavyweight division. I feel like it was only a few months ago we we're saying that the heavyweight division. The people that were good in the heavyweight division 10 years ago are the same guys that are good in the heavyweight division now. When you look at like Arlovsky and Olenek and, and um, Alistair Overeem, all these guys, Junior DeSantos, these are all guys that were like feel like they're in their primes 10 years ago and are still the top guys now. But we're starting, finally starting to see some fresh faces with Chris Dawkins and Aspinall and Derek Lewis is chump. <laughs> Showing he's no joke. Chris plays like there's finally some young some young prospects that have some promise with Aspinall and all that. And I think the heavyweight division is quickly turning around, especially if John Jones makes his debut and that long shot of Izzy coming up. I feel like the heavyweight division is is making a quick turnaround to being one of the most exciting divisions in the sport. If Izzy does come up to heavyweight with John Jones being there. I'm assuming Stipe will be gone if that happens. And Ngannou still being there. Derek Lewis. If that happens, I feel like this surpasses lightweight for being the most exciting division in the sport. I don't know if I'm crazy to say that because those names are lightweight are just insane. They're like 10 deep there. But the potential of having two goats and people like Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis, two of the heaviest punchers of all time, that like you can't match that in my eyes. So... Yeah, let's move on into the news. There wasn't much news with no Dana post-fight press conference, press room, unfortunately. Um, but we did get to see uh, Moreno saying he's ready for the rematch with Davison Figueredo. Figgy, I, I'm not sure if he's quite ready yet, but at least we have one guy making his voice heard that he's ready. And I'm sure Figueredo is... Should be turning around pretty quick. I know he has to do a pretty heavy weight cut to, to make that division. So maybe in the next couple months we'll see that. Maybe April. Maybe that could be the May fight. I, I could see that being the May fight. Who knows? Somewhere in there I could see it happening. Um, in terms of new fights to announce, we we actually do have a, a few. So there's a, there's a few new fights. But not, nothing crazy. No massive ones. But some fun ones. We, uh, we had Danny Gay. Who, who's lined up with Gavin Tucker now. That's a tough featherweight matchup for Gavin Tucker, who's sporting a 13-1 record. Gregor Giesby takes on Brad Riddle. 
both those guys are legit and they both have impressive records so that should be a really fun lightweight matchup Holly Holm is taking on Juliana Pena um, Holly Holm man is just sticking around she's getting her her age is getting up there now but she she's just still like looks so physically strong compared to who she's facing like just jacked in relative to the people she's fighting inside the division she she doesn't seem to be slowing down but she's getting up there so yeah she she's she's booked another girl fight Angela Hill is getting booked for next week to be this weekend coming up she gets booked and it's Ashley Yoder. Hill's an exciting fighter to watch. Uh, a good striker. But she's coming off a couple of tough, tough losses. Most recently against Michelle Watterson. So, yeah. Angela Hill makes her return. She She's fun to watch, so that's exciting. And then we have Alex Pred versus Matt Schnell. We're starting to get into the the good, the better ones. Um, Schnell taking a massive leap up the division in my eyes against Alex Perez. Alex Perez is, is lethal, man. And Matt Schnell, like I said earlier, he looks like like the last time he fought, he, I think, yeah, he already fought this year, and he looks like the guy that's, he imitates, he looks like he's imitating a fighter. He's not a fighter, but he's imitating someone who is a fighter. That's what he looks like when he fights. But, yeah, I think Alex Perez is a big, big step up for Matt Schnell. And then finally, we have the savior for Leon Edwards. We got Bilal Muhammad who was looking to make his way up into the top 10 and he both sides win Leon Edwards gets to make his return almost two years into the the making now and Bilal Muhammad breaks the top 10 takes a big step up in the division and he's earned it and he proves his game so I, that always puts you in good eyes in terms of the UFC Dana always likes that so Bilal might lose this fight but he, he'll be rewarded down the line anyways and, and don't count Bilal out anyways. So we've we seen Connor return to fight Dustin Poirier, a guy who's been incredibly active. And Dustin Poirier proved us why, proved us why activity is so crucial. And Bilal Muhammad is, is active, and he might prove to us why activity is so crucial against Leon Edwards. But this also could be a showcase fight for Leon, just to prove that you know he is legit and he belongs to be in that top three contendership. But yeah, I'm just glad the fight's on. Bilal steps in for Hazmat. Get well, Hazmat. Um, and yeah. Exciting fight there. That that fight is remaining on March 13th, which Leon Edwards hoped for. Yeah, the, oh, I did want to, before I wrapped up the show, I do want to quickly touch on, we talked about weight cuts last week on how, how dangerous they can be. I'm going to kind of fight for the other side now. Kind of. A lot of fighters missed weight this weekend. I think four four fighters, four fights, there were fighters missing weight. And I'm like, holy shit, man. That made me think. Like, these guys, they give up on their weight cut or either just, they either give up or just miss. But for not having to go through a, as big of a weight cut, like if you don't make your weight and these other fighters are dying to make their weight cut to reach the limit, that seems like such a heavy advantage, just like such a drastic advantage that you don't have to go through the to parse your body with so much water, put your body through hell, and just go through that nightmare work cut where you're deprived, you're sleep deprived, you're water deprived, you're everything. You're like you're nauseous, you're 
dizzy, all that stuff. One fighter's going through that, the other fighter's not. And the fighters can still get the win and the win bonus after that. The, the, the fighter that misses weight can still get the bonus and still can win the fight. I get that the other fighter has to agree to it, but still it just seems, it seems off, man. Like, and I know the other fighter gets some of the other person's purse, but I don't think the fighter should get a loss on the record against someone who misses a weight cut. It should go down as a no contest if, if they lose. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but that's just how I see it. But these fighters that fought this weekend, that's why I didn't really want to touch on Gordon too much because it just feels like such a cheap win over Danny Chavez to me. Like he, he explained why he missed weight, but still, I, I'm not complaining about him missing weight. I get stuff happens. I just don't think Danny Chavez should be punished with a loss on his record after losing to a guy that, that didn't reach the limit. I don't know. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's how I see it right now. Anyways, that is the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys just enjoyed listening. I hope you guys continue to enjoy it. I hope you guys return for the next episode coming this weekend when we preview, preview Shiro Gone versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike, another heavyweight matchup. And some other exciting, fun, fun fights on that card that we're going to dive deep into in that episode. So I, I hope to see you guys back. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. I hope you guys are having an amazing week. And I'll see you all very soon. See you on the next one. Have a good weekend. Or a good week, everyone. See you next time. I'm looking for exciting. I'm looking for flashy. I'm looking for somebody who has that, uh, that thing. What is that thing? The Jibber Jab MMA podcast. Is that thing.